Thanks, Dwayne, very much. And thanks, Andy and Chuck, for that flashback. I saw myself uh, at UT in the 70s with my Jesus Afro, my giant Ichthus wooden cross, my denim Bible. Uh, it was a great thing to behold back then. <laughs> it was good, good memories. <clears throat> good morning. I was in ninth grade, excuse me, I was nine years old. It was in fourth grade. I remember I was at Western Plateau Elementary, and it was a little bit in the afternoon, and our teacher, Mrs. Red, heard a knock on the school, on the classroom door, and the principal, very red-faced, red-eyed, opened and whispered something into her ear, and she gasped and began to cry, and then she came over and said, uh, students, the president has been shot. <clears throat> Go home. And so on that November 11th, on the 11th uh, month, on 22nd of November 1963, and we walked home, and there my mom was watching our TV, and there was Walter Cronkite, who later that day told us, the president is dead. For some of us, that's fixed as a defining moment in our memory. We remember exactly where, what. I remember Mrs. Red's face. I remember my mom's words. I remember even the smell of walking home. It will always be burned as a defining moment in my life. The same is true for others about 9-11 or the space shuttle or the Columbine shooting. These are defining moments that we will always remember exactly where we were and what we were doing. 11-9-20 would be one of those days for our church. <laughs> Boy, already starting crying. We're in trouble. <laughs> I haven't even gotten started. <laughs> for our church and for our students. I got a call. My phone was off. I got a call from Alan Keister. He goes, how are you doing? I said, fine. He goes, oh, you don't know, do you? And I go, what? And he goes, yeah, it's burnt. And then Casey Wood, our builder, sent me a picture and said, it's gone. And uh, then Doyle had been calling early in that morning. I hadn't gotten it. And as Lisa and I drove up here like Howard, our heart just sank. Why, Lord? What, what in the world's going on? What, what a year. We will always remember as a church this day and then what God did for this day. And for our youth, for Gen Z, as we call them, our early college to high school Gen Z, and for our Gen A, the middle school kids coming up, this will be a defining moment in their life and how the body of Christ responded. <clears throat> but not only will this be a defining moment, this will be a defining year for these generations, if you realize that. They will remember this the rest of the, and it will impact them very, very strongly. We're already seeing it. Masks will be the new seatbelts for them. It will be normal. How do we describe this year? How do we put this year into context as we talk about being thankful and thankful living? If you know what a meme is, it took me a while to figure out what a meme is, a little cartoon box on the internet. Here was a meme that's kind of appropriate describing this year. A guy wakes up and he says, Alexa, what's the weather going to be like today? Alexa says, it doesn't matter, you ain't going anywhere. <laughs> I mean, is that, not, is that not the meme? Paul, of course, does a better job. Paul sums up, as always, our situation, even 2,000 years ago, because there is nothing new under the sun. He sums up even more appropriately what these days are like. Turn with me to that scripture, Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Let's listen to how accurately Paul still, thousands of years later, describes where we are, what we do, how we be thankful. Look at Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Hear the word. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. And here it comes, because the days are evil. Amen. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. 
Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And here it comes, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Our theme is thankful living, but how do we, as was said, how do we do that in a dry and weary land? The days are evil. How do we be thankful as you look across the street and can still smell the ashes? How can we make the most of every opportunity? Well, one of the things I'm thankful for today is that we're fireproof. I'm thankful for fireproof things. As you look at that, as you look at that, look at what's fireproof out of that. If you look at what is still left, I want you to notice something. All the wood this is from, I'm going to keep this. This is going to be in a plaque somewhere in our new, when that house is rebuilt, this is going to be a reminder of what God's done. But things that burnt and burnt quickly in 45 minutes. But I want you to notice something. There's still a foundation. It's still there. It didn't burn to the ground. I have a house up here in, uh, a house up here in Beam. It would burn to the dirt. This burned to the foundation. It might be salvageable. But I want you to look where that truss is, which was going to be the center of the house. That was going to be right where the worship room started. There's two still columns. They're still standing. They're made out of metal. They're fireproof. Now they're warped. They'll probably have to be replaced, but they didn't burn. And that is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about things that are inflammable versus things that will burn. Things that are fireproof that we can be thankful for and focus on. Paul really talks about this. I chose this scripture weeks before this happened. God always goes before us, doesn't he? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, as Paul talks about being fireproof. 1 Corinthians Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. Paul nails it. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is in Jesus Christ. Now, and here's the lesson. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day, capital D, the day, the end of times, the day of days, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Unbelievable, this life illustration we have about eternal things. Now, we know as believers, if Christ is our foundation, that at the end of time, what they call the great white throne judgment seat, when all the nations are judged, that we, believers, will be exempt from that. That when Satan says, look at their sinful life, Jesus Christ will say, I paid for that life. They belong to me. We don't have to worry about the great white throne judgment. He will say, come, enjoy. Come, my beloved. We will be the sheep. But there's another test, another throne, if you will, not of judgment, Some have called it the Bema seat, the Bema. And Bema, in Roman, there was a Bema, which was a podium at the end of an Olympic, at the end of a Roman game, there was a Bema, and winners would come up and receive their crown and receive their their reward. And Paul says that's what's going to happen when we're with Jesus. Nothing to be afraid of, but excited about. It says that we will come before Jesus with whatever we do with our life, 
And we'll have everything we've ever done after we have that foundation, Jesus. All the things I've done and all the things I shouldn't have done and all the things I should have done will come. And if it's done in sin or if it's done for me, if it's done for worldly, it'll burn up. It will not pass through into the presence of Christ. But if it's done in the name of Jesus Christ, if it's done for him, it will survive. And it says you'll be like a man passing through a wall of fire. And that other stuff, the, the worldly stuff will be burnt up. But the things we did for God, for the Lord, will stand. And I don't know about you, but I want to have something in my hands. I don't want to be standing there on fire smoking empty-handed. The good news is it's not for salvation. And we'll see, even if you don't have anything, you'll be like a man passing through a wall of fire. The judgment. See, what will happen when you and I meet Jesus? How can we build our life around fireproof things? Well, the very first thing we want to make sure that we do every time here is make sure you have Jesus as your one true foundation. Again, do you have a slab of concrete, Jesus Christ, or are you built on wood? Or like Jesus says um, in Matthew 7, 24, do not build on sand. Build your house on the rock. I am the rock. In Matthew 15, he's walking along with his disciples, and he gives them a little pop quiz. Okay, guys, here you go, pop quiz. Who am I? Who do you say that I am? And they're like, uh, Elijah? Wrong. Uh, John the Baptist? Nope. And Peter goes, oh, 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 I know. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Bingo, we have a winner. You're right. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of fiery hell will not stand against it. Our Catholic brethren misunderstand that. They think that Jesus is talking about Peter upon that rock. No, he's talking about upon his, upon this rock, upon the reality that I am the Lord of the universe. I will build my church upon that. And hell, the fiery gates of hell, will not prevail. We sing about this foundation. The church's one foundation is what? Jesus Christ, our Lord. If I were Dan right now, I'd sing, but you don't want me to sing. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Do you have a fireproof foundation? Don't wait for the fire. The fire that will come in your life sometime, you're going to have a fire. There's fires in our life all the time. Don't wait to find out then that your foundation is on wood and will burn. And don't wait for eternity. Romans 10, 9, and 10. What is that foundation? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. If you don't know that, you don't know Jesus, you're not a Christian. No matter what good works you've done, they will burn up without Jesus. That is the gospel, friends. Acts 4, 12. There's, there is salvation found in no one else for no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. Is Jesus the foundation upon which your life is built? John Piper says it like this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. It sounds like our catechism. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Is he your satisfaction? And then second, what are you building upon that? Once those of us that know Jesus, that's not it. We're not saved and stuck. We're not cheap grace. We're not done. We don't have our fire insurance. What next? says, what are you building on that foundation? What are the two steel columns that will withstand the flames? What is fireproof? What are the things in my life and your life we're doing that are fireproof? Years ago, back when I was in, my, in the 70s, and those, we were one of the spirit days, those kumbaya days, I heard a professor from DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary, speak at a conference. I'll never forget what he said. There are only two things on the face of this earth that will last forever. There are only two things on the face of this earth that will last forever. The word of God and the souls of people. That's it. Everything else will go. 
Everything else will be redone. The things we'll carry from this earth into eternity are the word of God and the the souls of people. The steel beams in our lives will last. How much of my time am I investing in these inflammable things? First of all, the word of God. This is the only book, not this paper book, but these are the only words that are really going to go to heaven. War and peace won't make it, (laughs) thank goodness. Um, uh, The Lord of the Rings, Chronicles, my favorite books, uh, they won't make it. Harry Potter, all those... They won't be, because we won't need books in heaven because we'll have reality beyond imagining. We don't have to write about it. But these words will last. What do we always say? The flower fades. Isaiah what, 48. Howard says it every time. The grass withers, the flower fades. But what? The word of the Lord will last forever. This will be with us in heaven. How much time am I investing in this? I have a strange job. On Wednesday night, I'm over here with middle school kids, high school kids, and college kids till about 10 o'clock at night. But the next morning, I do hospice work. I go into facilities. I go into dementia wards. I go into Alzheimer's clinics. And you can be sitting there, and some of you have seen the tragedy of it. You'll be sitting with a wonderful person, older person with dementia or Alzheimer's. They don't know who they are. You point to pictures on the wall of their family and say, who's that? They don't know. They don't know if they've eaten lunch. They don't remember But guess what? You go into that same facility and they're having a chapel service led by me or another chaplain and you start singing hymns and they sing every word. You read scripture and they start, you can see their mouths because they know scripture in their heart. It's burnt in their hearts and their heads. It's written on their hands. Scripture stays in the heart and the mind. Hymns, how many will you and I build into our life for that time if it comes there's a true story. I've looked for it. I have a book. I've looked for it over and over again to give you the details. In World War II, on a Japanese island occupied in the Pacific, there was a group of about 10 uh, uh, pilots, American pilots, that were shot down. They put them in these bamboo prisons right next to each other. They couldn't see each other, but they could hear each other and pass notes. They took their Bibles away. There's a chapel with them. They took his Bible away. And over a year together, through scraps of paper, they reconstructed about half of the scriptures. The Psalms. So I know this story. And they put together a prisoner's Bible. If they took our Bibles away, how much could you and I recreate? How much could we recreate? We have thousands of complete secular songs in our heads. Thousands. Kids the uh, other night at fifth quarter were, were saying rap songs with millions of words. They knew every single word. If you've seen the play Hamilton, Alex, the play Hamilton has more words spoken per minute than any other song in history. And they've memorized this. How much I know my, my friends and I that were in college, we knew the entire dialogue for Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> How life-saving was that? <laughs> I'm not dead yet. He's not dead yet. Thousands of hours, video games, all of that will burn away. But Scripture will remain. How much will be in our brain? And what do you think the biggest competition in the Word of God is that our heads are? What's the biggest competitor right now for the Scriptures? It's this. It's this right here. This little beautiful, wonderful technical thing owns us, and it owns our kids. How many times a day do we look at it? How many times at night? First thing in the morning, last thing at night. How many times? This thing, actually, I didn't even ask for this app. I'll be going along, and all of a sudden, it'll pop up, and it'll say, you ha- this is how much time you spent on social media this week. You're a little behind. It's shame. My own phone is shaming me. What? What if I had an app that said, you spent this much time in Scripture this week? 
You've read this much, this many, you've prayed this, you've worshipped this much. What would the comparison be? Folks, this will burn. Thank God, huh? <laughs> this will stay. This is our pillar. And I want to take a moment, just because I'm worried about our kids a little bit. Myself and others, Anna Blake, youth ministers around the country, when we meet together or talk, this access program we've been talking through, there's a concern in youth ministry about our kids. It's not about drugs. It's not about alcohol. It's not even about social media. It's about busyness. It's about overcommitment. I worry about our kids' biblical literacy. Kids know all about Post Malone and Cardi B and Taylor Swift. But more and more students have no idea who Moses is or David or Ruth. We literally are reading down the Old Testament at A&O. Kids that have grown up in church, kids that go to camp, they have no idea who Esther is. They have no idea who, who the, what the Exodus is. It's frightening. In our post-Christian culture, we've lost the primacy of worship and spiritual development in our kids to club sports, to academics. We focus on our kids' physical bodies and their brain power. We're neglecting their souls. We've been compromised. It's the frog in the kettle. How did we lose Sunday mornings? How did we lose Wednesday nights? When did we give up? I'm not trying to shame anybody. These things will not get our kids through the fires that will come. Only scripture and spiritual strength will sustain them after high school. How can we as a church help and support our parents to bring back that ground we've lost in battle? How can we redeem the years the locusts have eaten? Help us as a church. What is the right balance? Sports are great. They're good things. Education is important. It will not get kids through the fire if they don't have a soul. What profit a man? If he loses, he has everything and loses his soul. He has nothing. We're losing generations to this obsession with achievement and with physical prowess and academics. It scares me. Deuteronomy says this. Fix these words of mine in your heart and your mind. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them to your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Are we doing that? As we drive to a club sport, as we sit on the practice field, as we wait, teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit down at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children <coughs> may be many in the land of the Lord. Swore to give your ancestors as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Wow, I am thankful for a church where scripture is taught and we go through the scriptures. I am thankful for a pastor that's been here 11 years, by the way. Thank you. <clears throat> He's gotten us through a lot and still, still leading us strongly. For a church where we're teaching the word of God, <clears throat> we're teaching it every Sunday, we're teaching our children's program, our classes, our youth. We even left our denomination. He led us through our denomination because it had left the scriptures. It had left the infallible, inflammable authority of the word. Are you building your house with a fireproof, inflammable metal of God's word? How's your quiet time? How's your in-depth Bible study? Are you memorizing scripture? We're here to help. That's what we do. Let's do this, church. Let's be a church known for loving and upholding the word of God. The second pillar, as we go through this, the second pillar that we must invest our time in this fireproof is investment in people. People last forever. Deeds in the name of Christ are inflammable. Dating myself a little bit here, but in the 80s, Lee Iacocca had been the uh, chairman of one organization, I think it was Chrysler, and Ford was failing. Ford hired him. He restored Ford, he, and he wrote a huge biography, a bestseller. He said at the end of his life, he'd worked for, had millions of employees. He said, I've never met a man 
or a woman on their deathbed that said, I should have spent more time at work. I've never met a man or woman who said they should have spent more time at work. When I go into hospices, be it a mansion or be it a shack, no one talks about their job. No one talks about their stuff. They talk about their relationships. I, did a, I was at a funeral for a cardiologist when I was a pharmaceutical rep. I went to a funeral of a cardiologist that didn't go to our church. He didn't know Jesus. Lots of people at this funeral. Everyone got up and all they could say was, he really liked to fish. That's all they could say. That was his legacy. Don't let that be your legacy. People are your legacy. John 3.35, by this all men will know that you're my disciples, that you what? Love one another. That's how the world knows. John 17.21, that Jesus is praying. He prays for the disciples. He prays for us. For those that will know me, you because of them, us, the believers to come. You know what he prays for us? Not that we'll build, build big buildings. Not that we'll evangelize the world. But that we will be one. And I tell you, during these times and distress. It's a struggle for people to be one. Satan, the days are evil. Did not, you know, here's an interesting thing. Have you ever noticed how Jesus, when he's going somewhere, he, most of the miracles in John, the seven signs, or other miracles of the gospel, they happen, it says, as he was going. It doesn't say as he was going to heal. It says, as he was going. Miracles happen as he was going. There's always... Jesus always has margins to let God the Father interrupt him. As he was going into Jericho, there's a blind man that says, Son of David, have mercy on him, and he heals him. As he was going to heal somebody else, had an agenda, there's a woman who's hemorrhaging. She just reaches out to touch the hem of his garment. He stops as he was going. Jesus leaves margins of time in his life that he can be ready when God says, I need you to love this person. Do you have any margins in your life? Is your life so complex? Have we so over... Uh, planned and so kept our kids so busy there's no time for margins here's a very fascinating scripture in the book of hebrews it's very interesting it says in hebrews 13 do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers it goes further for thereby some of us have entertained angels without knowing it the god has planted there's angels in physically disguised in this world and he's testing us you have a moment do you have a glass of water? Do you have something to eat? They come to our door, and he says, we have neglected sometimes. How many angels am I snubbing? How many angels am I avoiding? Because I'm so busy, and I have my agenda, and I'm, on my, and I'm in control of my life. How many angels have we missed? Paul David Tripp in a great book, if you're looking for a great devotional, New Morning Mercies, phenomenal, says this. Most of us won't have a biography written about us. After we die, most of our personal history will die with us, forgotten in two generations. We live in little moments, so the character of our relationships is not set into three or four big momentous moments, but in 10,000 little moments of life. What do the little moments of your relationships look like? How are you dealing with a messiness that lives there? Sin makes us all too entitled, too demanding. It causes us to be too quick to mete out judgment than to extend mercy. It makes us unwilling to overlook minor offenses. It makes us hold on to what we should have long since forgiven. It makes us self-righteous, self-defensive, instead of being ready to confess and to share our lives with others. How much time are you and I building into people for the sake of the kingdom? Not just our cool crowd, not just the cool kids, not just the Christian holy huddle, but into other demographics. People who believe other things, different lifestyles. This is true religion. 
Howard said that God thankfully gave us all a spiritual gift. It doesn't matter if you have a spiritual gift if you're not investing it, giving time to people. I'll close with this very interesting book. Howard uh, Murray and I were talking Friday, and we were talking about this sermon. He said, I need to tell you about this, this fantasy book. You probably haven't heard of it. It's called The Room of Marvels, M-A-R-V-E-L-S. The Room of Marvels by James Bryan. It's a fantasy, Christian fantasy, like um, <clears throat> uh, This Present Darkness or, or Chronicles of Narnia. Or, uh, it's, a, it's a fiction fantasy about a guy who's lost his daughter, lost his mother, lost some love, and he's in heaven. And he finally dies. He goes to heaven, and he's seeing these people. And they take him into this room. It's a big, beautiful, gorgeous room. It's gigantic. It looks more like a museum. And there's little souvenirs around. And he says, can we go into this room? And the angel says, it's your room. In my father's house, there's many mansions. This is one of your mansions. Everybody has one of these. It's giant. And he goes in, and on a podium, there's a baseball. And over here, there's a bandage. And over here, there's a stuffed animal. And as he goes up to it, he notices on the wall are these little postage-sized pictures. And the angel says, push it. And he pushes it, and it's this boy who says, you may not remember, we were at a Yankees game. I was a Yankees fan. A foul ball was hit into the stadium. It bounced around. Me and other boys were wrestling for it. It landed in your cup. And you looked at it, and you gave it to me. And that changed my life. And then he went to this bandage, and he pushed a little video, and the whole screen lit up again of another man. I was in fifth grade. I was skinny. I was unpopular. The cool kids were beating me up. And one day after school, you stood between me and them, and they hit you instead of me. That changed my life. And he went to another, and there's a stuffed animal, and he pushes the little picture, and this woman's face comes up, and she says, I was six years old. We were at a state fair. You were the cool high school boy. You had your girlfriend there. You were a baseball player. You hit three milk bottles, and they gave you a giant stuffed animal. I gave you a dollar and says, please win me one. You hit two, but you missed the third one, and you didn't win. But you looked at your girlfriend, and you looked at me, and you gave me this stuffed animal. My mother had died the day before. Thank you. What's your room going to be like? What's your room when you get there? How many little postage stamps, pictures of people will be on the wall? It says, you know what? We were in our office. We were having a staff meeting this past Monday, and we were shocked and crying. But you, Michael and Bell, came. You just came up there and came up and hugged us and prayed for us. We were having A&O with kids that were shocked. And we were worshiping, and we saw. I came out 7.30 to check on my middle school kids and the high school kids who were starting to meet downstairs. And I saw this picture. Maybe we have it. I saw this group of kids out in front of the A&O house. I didn't recognize any of them. I know our kids. I saw these adults, and finally I recognized Bradley and Anna, the youth directors for First Baptist Church. And they had this banner, and they were going to string it out in front of the old house. I said, no, 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 no. This is too precious Please come and present it to our kids. So they came down. They went downstairs right below us. And they went up front. And they showed us this says, FBC students love A&O students. We're praying for you. Every kid signed that. We're praying for you. And our kids were stunned. Wait, churches do this? We love each other? And they prayed for us. That's a picture of the Bradley and Anna. That's, a little, that's going to be in their souvenir museum right there. It's hanging in the hall, by the way, if you want to see it. What will be in your museum? 
Here's a key to the gratitude house. Lulu, thank you for giving me an apartment. Here's a box of food uh, in the museum. Thank you, Brady. Thank you, Kim Zimmer, for giving me food. Here's a bus ticket. Thank you, Murray Gossett, for giving me a bus ticket to get to my family. What will be your picture? What clips will there be of you and me that we've done for the Lord? Make sure, not for your glory's sake, but for Jesus' sake, that we have some. So how fireproof are you today? Fire will come in this world, in this life. Then all we do will be put to the test. Have you laid the eternal foundation? Make sure we'll help you. Talk to any of us how to do that. Do it before the flames rage again. Are you building upon that foundation with the only materials that are eternally flame-proof? The Word of God and the souls of people. Someday, my friends, all of us, sooner or later, unless the Lord returns, praise the Lord, God will say, time's up. Time's up. You're done. Ready to bring you home. Will you stand forgiven and resurrected and reborn in front of Jesus? Will you hear him say, well done, my true and faithful servant? I want to give you one last picture. Scripture says that if we have invested our time in God's Word and people, we will receive, like that Olympic race, we'll receive a crown, even jewels. But guess what the Bible says we will do with that crown? <laughs> we won't just pray around and go, look, i got more jewels than you. You know, Murray's looking at me going, ha, ha, ha. No, that's not what will happen. It says that when Jesus appears on his throne, the angels will bow down and the elders will bow down and the, then we around a class, you see, will take these crowns with jewels and throw them at his feet, cast it as a tribute to his dying in our place. I was having lunch with a friend on Friday. He said, you know what? I just want to make sure I have a crown to throw down. I just want to make sure I have a crown to throw down. What about you? Don't you? I'll end with this great poem by C.T. Studd. Oh, let my love with further fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing me pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say "Twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Amen?